Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching on the book of Ephesians. Here we go. We're a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The book of Ephesians. Amen. This morning, we're going to begin a series on the book of Ephesians, and we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, until we complete the entire book of Ephesians. I don't want to hear any groans out there. This is the church of God. We study the Bible in the church of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, ordinarily in our regular services, uh, I'm more of a topical teacher than an exegetical teacher. That's a fancy word. Exegesis means the in-depth study of the word. So I'm more of a topical teacher than an exegetical teacher. However, I feel like the book of Ephesians is so foundational and so necessary for the proper spiritual development of the believer that I'm going to make an exception and we're going to do a verse-by-verse exegetical study of the book of Ephesians. Amen. Ephesians is just an awesome book, and uh, we need to feast in Ephesians. Let me tell you my motivation for teaching this. About, I guess about three months ago, I had a vision, and my visions normally happen early in the morning, right about dawn. I'll open my eyes, I'll be awake, and then I'll close my eyes while I'm awake, and then, bam, I have these 5, 10, 15-second visions. I call them my morning flashes. Well, in this particular morning flash, I saw letters spelled out over my bed, E-P-H-1-3. And it was about five seconds worth, and then I came out of it, and I'm said, I said, Lord, what are you, what are you telling me? And I'm I need to study the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 1 through 3. Why? Because that's where you find out who you are in Christ and what belongs to you in Christ. Amen? So we're going to do all six chapters, but we're really going to hone in on chapter 1 through 3. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. Okay, then. Let's get started with lesson 1, Introduction to Ephesians and the Redemptive Plan of God. Can I have an amen? Amen. Woo, glory. And we'll start with an overview of the book of Ephesians. Oh, by the way, if you're a note taker, I'm going to be giving you a lot of information. So just do the best you can. But I am going to endeavor with a little bit of help from Mark Meriday to post these notes on the website so you can download them and have a copy uh, as we go each week. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So let's do an overview of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is one of the most concentrated doctrinal epistles written by the Apostle Paul. It is the only one of his letters which does not address a specific problem in the church or a specific problem in someone's personal life. It's a wonderful book that applies to the entire body of Christ. And I say that because there is some doubt as to whether the letter was written specifically to the church of Ephesus or not. 
as it seems in Ephesus 1, verse 1. The theory is that the letter was first read at Ephesus and then passed on to the other churches in Asia Minor. Noteworthy, the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians are companion books. And in fact, if you read those books one after another, you'll find some amazing similarities. And there are some phrases in there that are repeated almost verbatim. So you might wonder at first glance, at first reading Ephesians and Colossians, uh, what's the difference between the two? Well, I'm going to tell you what the difference is. I got my Bible director hat on right now, so you're going to see a different Dr. Scott than you're used to seeing. Ephesians deals with the body of Christ, the church. Colossians deals with the head of the body, Jesus Christ. So you join the two together, and you have the head and the body, and so Ephesians and Colossians are naturally complementary. Amen? But we're talking about the book of Ephesians, and we're going to divide it into two parts. Chapter 1 through 3, part 1. Chapter 4 through 6, part 2. Amen. Chapters 1 through 3 deals with our position in Christ or who we are in Christ or what belongs to us in Him. Amen. Part 2, chapters 4 through 6 deals with the application of these positional truths in our daily lives. Amen. Themes of part one include our righteousness, eternal life, our election, our hope, and our redemption. Themes of part two include biblical instruction on how to be good husbands, good wives, good children, good bosses, employees, and witnesses. The truths in Ephesians are fairly deep, but they're relatively easy to walk out. Amen? Hallelujah. I'll give you a little background of the book of Ephesians. There was a guy by the name of Philemon. He was a rich businessman in the city of Colossae. And the Colossian church actually met in his home. Well, he had a servant named Onesimus. You can read about that, Colossians 4, verse 9, and also Philemon, verse 10. Onesimus stole a lot of money from Philemon, and he ran away to Rome, and he spent it all. He ended up in prison, wouldn't you know, next to the Apostle Paul. And Paul led him to the Lord and sent him back to Onesimus with the letter of Philemon. The theme, as you might expect, was forgiveness. Amen. Hallelujah. One of Paul's friends Tychicus went with Philemon and also delivered the book of Ephesians and Colossians. Amen. Let's talk about the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a major seaport on the Aegean Sea and a leading center of trade and commerce. Now, the city itself was built around the worship of Diana, the Greek goddess of fertility, and was known for the worship and pursuit of sexual pleasure. It was a very popular city. <laughs> Even though there were other attractions in the city, such as race courses and theaters, the Temple of Diana was the most popular. Why? Because they used temple orgies in the worship of Diana and people wanted to participate. 
Since beauty and pleasure played a central role in Greek society and Greek culture, sexual immorality was rampant. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality were all considered perfectly acceptable lifestyles. For this reason, much of chapter 4 and 5 deals with sexual sin. And chapter 5 spends a lot of time talking about proper marriage relationships, even proper intimate relationship between a man and a woman. Amen. And last but not least, a city founded on idolatry and the desires of the flesh was no doubt infested with demons. No surprise there, is there? So imagine what a difficult place the city of Ephesus must have been to start a church. I feel blessed that I was called to start a church in Wilmington, North Carolina. We've got our problems, but we're not infested with demons the way the city of Ephesus was. We don't have a temple where they worship God by having sexual orgies. So I'm thankful for that. Amen. Glory to God. So let's talk about the origins of the church at Ephesus. Paul's ministry to Ephesus began in the upper coast. Finding some early disciples there, he laid hands on them. They got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and the Bible says they spoke with tongues and magnified God, and they prophesied. Let's read about it in Acts chapter 19. Hey, I thought we were studying the book of Ephesus. Well, it appears other places in the Bible, folks. And you've got to study the whole counsel of God if you want to get a feel for what the book of Ephesians is all about and the challenges that Paul faced in that city. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. <laughs> Let me stop right there. Sadly, there's a lot of churches in the body of Christ. If you ask them about the Holy Spirit, they're about the same level of knowledge. Well, we don't know a whole lot about him. He's just the tail end of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, the one we don't talk about or ever indulge in. And that's a sad commentary on the body of Christ. Well, evidently, these guys were believers because he said he found certain disciples. Paul said, OK, if you're a believer, if you're a disciple, we want to do first things first. We want to get you baptized and then we want to get you filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. I don't believe there should be any delay when you have an altar call to get people saved, because if you get people saved and then turn them loose, you do them a disservice because they don't have the power they need to live the life that God called them to live. Amen. Glory to God, I don't want to get on my soapbox. And y'all pray, pray that that tractor beam does not pull me off. All right? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 3. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
Verse 8, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Let me stop right there. He preached for three months in the synagogue, which was his pattern. He would go to the Jew first because that was the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Amen. So Paul is following a scriptural example by going into the synagogues, but they rejected the word of God in the synagogue and he left. And the King James says he separated his disciples. If you study that out, he said to them, you need to leave too. So many people stay in dry, dead churches because they think they can make a difference and you're not going to make a difference from the bottom up. It has to come from the top down. Amen. And if it's not coming from the top down and you're allowing yourself to be poisoned every week by doubt and unbelief that is dragging you down, you need to leave that church. As I used to say, come out from among them and find somebody that's preaching the word of God. Amen. Glory to God. The school of Tyrannus, I looked it up, I did a little study uh, some time ago and it basically was a secular institution, and this guy, Tyrannus, uh, Paul must have had favor with him because he allowed him to teach spiritual things in a secular school. Amen. He had favor, and the Bible says, and this continued by the space of two years, and all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Amen. Hallelujah. Paul's ministry to Ephesus was characterized by the bold preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ with supernatural signs and wonders following. Amen. As a result, the Bible says all of Asia Minor, the entire region around the city of Ephesus was evangelized in just two years. They went from the depths of depravity in the city of Ephesus to the largest church in Asia Minor in just two years. Can you imagine how miraculous that is? Glory to God. If Paul can do that in the city of Ephesus, how much more can we do that in the city of Wilmington? Amen. If we're willing to preach the word boldly and let signs and wonders follow and confirm what we're preaching, amen. Verse 11 says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Glory to God. You know, 80% of the body of Christ, they just skip over those verses because they have no understanding of what's being talked about there. I used to use these verses when I taught on the anointing in the Bible school. These verses tell us that the anointing has two T's. Number one, it is tangible. It can be felt. It can be experienced. Number two, it is transferable even into inanimate objects. Now, I don't understand how that works mechanically. I just believe it. 
You go back to the book of 2 Kings and you find out that Elisha had been in the grave long enough that only bones were left. And there's a story in there where they lowered a young man in there who had died. And when he touched the bones of Elijah, he came back to life. Now, the only way you can understand that is to understand the anointing, that it is tangible and it is transferable. And evidently, it was so strong on Elisha, who had a double portion, mind you, that there was enough anointing resident on his bones to raise the dead back to life. Glory to God. This is the kind of power that Paul was operating in. Glory to God. Hallelujah. It seems that God's strategy for the city was to counter the darkness with God's word and to confirm his word powerfully with signs, wonders, miracles and deliverance. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice what happened when the seven sons of Sceva tried to move in the power of God the way that Paul did. When the plan backfired, it was powerful evidence of the truth of Paul's teaching. Amen. Verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews. I just love that. <laughs> you know, that's King James for drifters. They would just drift in and drift out and see what they could do and make money, uh, you know, casting out devils, you know. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you, by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. Oh, I love this. I'm going to have to keep from laughing. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded, naked and afraid. Amen. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Amen. Isn't that awesome? In other words, who are you? You don't have a right to use the name of Jesus. Even the devils know whether you have that right or not. They respect the authority that is vested in you in the name of Jesus. But if somebody comes along who has no relationship with Jesus, trying to use the name of Jesus, the devil will be on to your game. And it won't work. It will not work. Glory. Hallelujah. Verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, that's witchcraft, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. I did a little study and I found out in today's dollars, that was at least a million dollars, probably two to three million dollars. Can you imagine the impact? that Paul's preaching had on these people, they were willing to give up their craft, the books that they used to make money, and literally give up millions for a chance of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. Glory to God. 
I tell you what, in two years, the city went from being infested with demons, dominated by spiritual principalities, sins of the flesh dominating the city, to people giving up millions of dollars to follow Christ. I call that million-dollar impact, and he did it just in the space of two years. I want to have million-dollar impact here in the city of Wilmington. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Verse 20 is the understatement of the whole Bible. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. No kidding. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, many who have studied the Bible extensively believe that the revival at Ephesus was one of the two great revivals found in the Bible. Number one was the city of Nineveh. Revival broke out when Jonah preached to that totally heathen city. And the Bible says the entire city repented of their evil deeds and came to the Lord. Amen. It was a city of depravity and sin, very much like Ephesus. And they were known for ferocity in battle where they would go in and they would capture the enemy and they would flay the prisoners alive. Give them a slow, painful death. They were a horrible, despicable people. And yet when Jonah preached to them, they turned and the whole city came to the Lord. And the Bible says that the judgment decreed over Nineveh was delayed for 100 years because of this revival. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So that's the magnitude of the revival that happened there in Ephesians. I don't think we really think about that when we read the book of Ephesians, but we need to. The city of Ephesus, which was totally overtaken by rampant sexual depravity and the widespread worship of demons and practice of witchcraft. Yet at the end of just two years, the city of Ephesus was home to the largest Christian church in the known world at the time. Glory to God. Woo! Praise the Lord. I feel like popping, but I don't know how. Glory, hallelujah. Anyway, the revival was so impactful that practitioners of the dark arts were willing to burn millions of dollars of books which they could have sold for considerable gain. But they didn't. So with all this in mind, it is clear that we can learn a lot about the spirit-filled life and our authority over Satan's kingdom by reading these verses here in Acts chapter 19, but also reading the entire book of Ephesians. Amen? Hallelujah. Because this was the setting that birthed the book of Ephesians. Now, y'all know it really wasn't a book, right? That's just King James. They wrote in scrolls back then. But it's easier for our Western mindset to think of books than scrolls. Amen. So let's talk about the flow of the book of Ephesians. It's actually very logical. Extremely logical. The main character of chapter 1 is God the Father. The main character of chapter 2 is God the Son, Jesus Christ. The main character of chapter 3 is God the Holy Spirit. Amen. The unity of the Godhead or the Trinity, is seen in part 1, chapters 1 through 3, where positional truths are emphasized. 
Chapter 1 through 3 deal with the plan of redemption and the building of the church. Listen to this. God the Father originated the plan of redemption, and it's the theme of chapter 1. God the Son executed the plan of redemption, and it's the theme of chapter 2. God the Holy Ghost revealed the plan of redemption to the church, and that is the theme of chapter 3. Pretty logical, eh? The plan is given to the church through the five-fold ministry, and you find that is the theme of chapter 4. Overcoming sin and putting God's word into practice in our daily lives is the theme of chapter 5. And our victory over Satan and our witness to the world is the theme of chapter 6. Can I have an amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So let's get into it. Today we'll be studying Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, which I call the plan of God. Amen. Let's start with the salutation, Ephesians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Amen. The word Paul there actually literally means small. Paul means small. We need to be like Paul and see ourselves as small. Amen. The balance to I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is without him, I can do nothing. So you need an appropriate balance there. Amen. Don't get too big headed. Know your authority, but know without Christ, you are nothing. It's all because of what he did for you. The Greek word for apostle is apostolos, and it means sent one. But it also comes from a term used by the Phoenician Navy at the time, which means the one of highest rank. Today, we might call him Admiral Paul instead of the Apostle Paul, the one of highest rank. This is why the Apostle is mentioned first in the order of the fivefold ministry offices in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and also in Ephesians 4, 11. Amen? The irony is this. Although Paul was the one of highest rank, he still saw himself as small. Small. One of highest rank of Jesus Christ. He had the appropriate balance of authority and humility. And we need to follow his example. Amen. We see the same concept in the next phrase. To the saints which are at Ephesus. The word saints means holy ones. But the fact that they lived at Ephesus ties them to the natural world. And so the concept there is we have a spiritual side, but we also have a natural side. Amen. Glory to God. Notice that the apostle, as are all the fivefold office gifts, is called by God and not by man. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. No one can make themselves an apostle, prophet evangelist, pastor, or teacher, you must be called by God. Otherwise, you're going to get in trouble. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's why I didn't dare start this church until I had that settled in my heart. You really calling me to do this? Is this what you're calling me to do? Because, you know, I'll do it if, if you tell me to do it. It was a matter of obedience to begin with, folks. It really was. 
because I knew the danger in doing something you weren't called to do. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Notice also that Paul addresses the saints, but he also addresses the faithful. To the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Why is that? Well, the saints represent all the born-again Christians who are in the church, right? If you're born again, you belong to Jesus, you're a saint. You're made holy because of him. But the faithful represent what I call the church within the church. These are the faithful workers. The faithful workers and sometimes the full-time ministers that God is looking for. Amen? Which one do you want to be? You want to be a saint or you want to be a faithful one? I say I want to be a faithful one. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, this salutation is repeated. If you went over to Colossians 1.1 and read it, it's almost verbatim, the same exact verbiage. Amen. So Paul is speaking from the heart how he feels about himself, how he feels about the saints of God and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So the letter of Ephesians is to all the saints, but especially to the faithful ones. Amen. And I'm saying that everybody in here is in that category. So this letter was especially written for you. Verse 2. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that grace comes before peace. When we strive to please God through our own efforts, we can get frustrated. Isn't that right? But once we cease from our own efforts, read that in Hebrews chapter 4, then peace comes with the knowledge that God is working in our lives. We see this same concept repeated throughout the whole New Testament. Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2, Galatians 1.3, Philippians 1.2, and Colossians 1.2. Amen. That was not intended for the note taker. This is why we're going to post this. <laughs> so let's talk about the plan of redemption. Now, we're going to read some scriptures here. And what I want you to do is I want you to notice the italicized phrases. Those were added by me. I want you to notice these phrases because as you read through the first chapter of Ephesians, uh, most of the things that are spoken are spoken in the past tense. Already accomplished. Already belongs to us. Amen. And this is a critical mindset. This is a paradigm that you have to make. When you read the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 1 through 3, you have to know that you know these things already belong to me in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. This is what belongs to me in Christ. Amen? Glory to God. So if nothing else in this entire series, if you get nothing else out of it, I want you to get that. These are all privileges and benefits and authority and things that Christ has paid for and already given to us. Amen. They belong to us. Hallelujah. Before time, I got to work this in, folks. Before time, space, and matter were created, the plan of redemption existed in the heart and mind of God, and he knew each of us by name, and he knew that you would choose him. Amen. And so he had all of this set aside for you 
even before the universe was created. Now, if that doesn't make you feel special, that makes me feel special. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory. All these things we're going to read about, especially in chapter 1 through 3, these are not things that you should aspire to receive or to become. These are things we already have. These are things that we already are if we are in Christ. And if you're going to live a life of true faith, then this is a fundamental paradigm shift you're going to have to make. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Woo! Glory! Hallelujah! God has blessed us, past tense, with all these blessings, but they exist in the realm of the Spirit. We have to appropriate them by faith to bring them from the realm of the Spirit into manifestation in the natural realm. Amen? This is something that 80% of the body of Christ just doesn't get. Verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Amen. Let's just go back and catalog all these things that already belong to us if we're in Christ. Number one, he hath chosen us in him. We are chosen. Number two, he has preordained us to be adopted by Jesus Christ as children of God. We're already children of God. Number three, he has made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted and beloved by God the Father. All right. Amen. And then we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have eternal redemption. Our sins in the past, present, and future have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin ceased to be an issue when you were in Christ. Amen? And finally, it says, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That's kind of King Jamesian, so I wanted to break it down for you. Dear Prudence. That's a Beatles song, right? All right. I had to work that in. But hear me out. This is what I, I studied out. I know what these words mean. Concerning the redemptive plan of God for mankind, the wisdom of God was knowing what to do about the fallen state of man well before it happened. Okay? But the prudence of God was knowing when and where and how to send Jesus into the world to pay the price and seal the deal that he had preconceived before the universe was created. Amen. Verse nine. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, 
which he hath purposed in himself. Amen. The gift of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he would bring was a mystery that none of the ancient prophets understood. There was clues and evidence throughout the Old Testament, but it was never fully revealed until it was unveiled to the Apostle Paul. The Bible says by Jesus Christ himself personally. He received personal revelation, and if you really read it the way it was written, it means that Jesus appeared to him bodily and sat down and explained the plan of redemption to Paul so the church would have no misunderstanding. Glory to God. Verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And let me sort of wrap this up for you. This is a reference to the rapture of the church when all believers that are alive on the earth will be gathered together with all the believers that have already preceded us into the next life. Amen. And then beginning with the millennial reign, ultimately all things in heaven and on the earth will be brought under the rulership of Jesus Christ, our King. It'll be glorious. It'll be fantastic. I can't wait. We will rule and reign with him, but he will be our king. Amen. Verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I believe that all believers will receive an inheritance from the Lord. But I believe he has something special for those of us who first trusted in Christ, primarily the church-aged saints. Amen. One of which is we're going to have an immortal, indestructible body that we're going to live in throughout eternity around people who have natural human bodies. And I believe it's because we first believed in Christ. He's got something special for us. And I'm sure there's more, but that's cool enough to begin with, I think. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Verse 13. In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. There's so much in this, but I'm just going to give it to you the way I see it. When you got born again, when you said yes to Jesus, you were sealed and set apart by the Holy Spirit. I like to think about it like this. You became a marked man or you became a marked woman. You were sealed and sanctified and set apart, and you were destined to receive a purchased possession, which includes a brand new, immortal, incorruptible, indestructible body. Glory to God. Just like Jesus. You hear me talk about it all the time because it excites me to think about it. No more aches and pains. No more fighting aging. None of that rot. One last thing I want to emphasize concerning these verses in chapter 1. 
before we wrap things up. The text makes it clear that all these things were and are ours in Christ. You did not deserve this. This is all because of what Jesus did for you. Amen. Nevertheless, it already belongs to you because you are in Christ. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All these benefits, all these privileges were held in Christ before the foundation of the world until his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then they were given to us who believe. Amen. So I'm going to wrap it up. One of the most important concepts you can glean from these scriptures in Ephesians is that all the blessings that were secured for us by Jesus Christ are past tense, already accomplished. They have already been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus himself. They are already ours. All we have to do is receive. Salvation is already ours. Healing is already ours. Deliverance is already ours. His authority and power are already ours to use to carry out our assignments in this life. This is a recurring theme in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and a theme that simply cannot be overemphasized. As hard as it is to imagine, God knew before the creation of the universe that man would fall and that he would need a redeemer. He was not caught by surprise. He knew all of us before we were born and he had a plan to save us and restore us to the level of authority that we had before Adam fell from grace. Amen. Glory to God. We'll pick it up there next Sunday. Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed part one of today's teaching on the book of Ephesians. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship, and to access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.